Hi, I'm Chris Kepler, and welcome to Does This Happen to You? I'm an actor, voice actor, audiobook narrator, and writer. I love reading, pondering, and sharing humorous stories about the freakish things that happen in everyday life. That's why this podcast features funny stories from fantastic writers about our daily aberrations, a micro-audio book about life and befuddlement just for you. Our story this week is from Bob Gonzalez, who you'll find on Amazon.com. And here's an excerpt from his book, A Flicker in the Water, Inside the Tales. The water was brightly lit, reflecting the tuna's iridescent colors off their elongated muscular bodies as we arrived at sunset. Getting to the offshore oil rigs, our fishing destination had been no easy journey. An eight-hour trek through an unpredictable yet calm sea. On the way, we had managed to land a bull dolphin. In Spanish, they are called Dorado, an apt name that perfectly captures the golden essence of their beautiful multicolored skin tone. With differing vibrant shades of blue, green, and striking yellow capped off by a flat square bulging head, creating a color combination as diverse and beautiful as any fish in the sea. Most know them as mahi-mahi, a Hawaiian term that means very strong. The bull, a male, had a companion with him, a female called a cow. Male lions are the kings of the jungle, but in the world's oceans, females wear the crown, reigning supreme. Captain Mike had made the trip many times before, but even an experienced seaman cannot help getting those little butterflies in the pit of his stomach as the departure time draws closer. The excited anticipation of what could happen, good or bad, when leaving the dock is a different, yet no less satisfying feeling than a successful trip's return. Filling the coolers with ice, rigging bait, setting the rods and reels to the proper length, and drag are all necessary tasks to be done ahead of time, because, as any fisherman knows, you want to be ready when you get that make-or-break strike. Which, as every fisherman who has ever told tales also knows, happens each time you put your baits in the water. Doing these required tasks for the Twister's crew team would be Troby, known as Drawbridge to his friends. Drawbridge was an experienced fisherman who had more stories to tell than Popeye the Sailor Man, only he did not derive his strength from spinach. Drawbridge was a jovial fellow with the look of an experienced fisherman written on the lines of his face, who, like many seamen, had an unquenchable thirst for the suds, which often led to some amusing, and at times not so amusing, circumstances. There was never a bridge Drawbridge did not want to cross, or a fish he didn't like to eat, once comparing the taste of a tiger shark's liver to a chocolate bar. Drawbridge's father had been an airline pilot for a major airline, before becoming an early settler in Destin, 
while it was still known as the world's luckiest fishing village. Drawbridge spent a lot of his childhood traveling the world through the air, choosing for himself as an adult to travel by water. Also joining the crew was Gary, a local kid who had grown up fishing the local waters. Bob Jr., a former ball player who enjoyed all aspects of the seaman's experience from preparation to scrubbing the boat down after a long run. Bob Jr.'s favorite baseball memory was of a home run he hit in a championship game. I still don't know how that ball traveled so far. It felt like the ball slipped off the bat. It must have gotten caught up in a favorable wind current. In baseball, like at sea, it's better traveling when the currents are in your favor. Bob Jr. hailed from the mountains of northeast Pennsylvania. He and Bob Sr. fished for bluefish off the coast of New Jersey every summer. Bob Jr. likes to retell the story that brought him of age as a fisherman, the first bluefish he reeled in by himself at age nine. The warrior in him came alive, refusing to hand the rod off. It was going to be the fish or me, he likes to say. Bob Jr. had taken a renewed special interest, not wanting to call it outright pride in his gaffing. Line up the gaff to the fish, then give it a quick, short snatch instead of lunging at the fish. He would say, you won't get them all, but your batting average will definitely improve. His love of gaffing was born out of a near miss of a 100-pound wahoo that had somehow managed to slip off the hook after repeated gaff attempts by others. The shock waves, of which felt like a harpoon, had lodged itself in his heart, needing to be carefully removed. Bob Sr. was the boat's principal owner. Bob Sr. is not your typical sit-in-the-chair, content to reel in the fish kind of boat owner. Bob Sr. likes to get his hands dirty with everyone else. He once caught a giant albacore tuna off the shores of Barnegat Light, New Jersey, on an old party boat called Doris May that won him the day's pool prize. The pool prize was a potluck all the day's fishermen contributed to before heading out for the day. Barnegat Light was known for their catches of bluefish in the summer and cod in the winter. Bob Sr. had been on such a hot streak of late. He caught a 42-pound red snapper three pounds shy of the Florida state record and a 60-pound grouper all within 10 minutes of each other. Having grown up in Cuba, Bob Sr. spent much of his childhood on the ocean. He learned how to swim before he could walk. In the tradition of fishermen of that day, he started fishing with an old-school handline. The crusty fishermen, many of whom made their living with their handlines, developed hands so calloused they felt like sandpaper to the touch. But their hands were really tender when it came to working a fish. As a 10-year-old in Santiago de Cuba, Bob Sr. caught his first fish on a handline, a tarpon, who at the time weighed as much as he did, 80 pounds, within the view of El Moro Castle, the stately-looking fort sitting at the mouth of La Baya de Santiago. 
Bob Sr. put a rope through the fish's gills, threw the fish over his shoulder, the fish's tail dragging on the ground behind him. The experience would come in handy, literally. Years later, when he had a three-sided treble hook get stuck in his finger, when he brought a kicking bull mahi on board. Each time the mahi kicked, the treble lodged itself deeper and deeper. After subduing the fish, we used a wire cutter to slice the steel hook, pulling it out of his finger. Bob Sr. didn't flinch. We bandaged his finger, applied some ointment with a dose of hydrogen peroxide, and continued fishing without skipping a beat. Little did Bob Sr. know his recent hot streak was about to continue. This was no ordinary bottom fishing trip they were embarking on. No, sir. This time around, they were after one of the sea's toughest competitors. Tuna are known to be finicky feeders, and on this day they lived up to their well-deserved reputation. Arriving at dusk, you could see their stout bodies protruding from the water in a way that said, Yeah, we know you're here. Now see if you can catch us. Tuna are so unpredictable many times they don't even let you approach them without going underwater, losing themselves in the depths without a trace to be seen. There hasn't been a depth finder made yet they haven't been able to outrun. To catch them, we tried, then tried, then tried again. Nine long hours had passed since the tuna began teasing us. Up to now, they were winning the battle of wills in the depths of the 5,000 feet we were fishing. They gave us no indication that they were even still around, seeming to have disappeared. In the interim, a few cases of beer, which would have tasted much better with some freshly caught raw tuna fish as a side dish, had been consumed. Innate in the fisherman's nature is the pleasure of believing the fish always tastes better when it's caught with his own hand, the pursuit accomplished. Drawbridge had, on a past voyage, had a harrowing experience with a boatload of beer. Drawbridge was commissioned with delivery of a vessel from Destin, Florida, to Cabo San Lucas in Baja, California, where he and his team were going to fish in a marlin tournament. In years gone by, Drawbridge had won first prize in this tournament, leading the pack weighing in a grander blue marlin. The boat's owner was a builder who built condominiums all along the Gulf Coast. Drawbridge was always proud, not boastful, just proud the winning grander he landed was measured by girth and length being hung in the entranceway of the first condo his boss built. He could be heard saying from time to time, Oh yeah, when my dad helped settle Holiday Isle, he never dreamed his son would leave a lasting legacy to carry on his family name. On this current excursion, things would take a decidedly different twist. No one really knows how or why, but legend has it the boat Drawbridge commandeered was loaded with cases of beer from bow to stern, with only enough space to walk from the bridge to the bathroom through a narrow aisle down below. He and his girlfriend Gail set sail in what was thought to be balmy, ideal conditions, feet up enjoying a brand new day's sunrise. As is often the case, Mother Nature makes plans of her own on short notice, 
rarely if ever consulting anyone about them. Crossing the Florida Straits at nightfall can be delightful, with a following sea allowing tired, hard-working engines a temporary reprieve. The vast current propelling the boat forward. Going against those same currents can often be a challenging, if not downright horrifying, experience, as Drawbridge and Gale would soon find out. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this story, let me know and share it with your friends. Follow me at Chris Narrates on Twitter or Chris K. Kepler on Facebook or check out my website, chriskepler.com.